0: This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. Y'all are very kind. People have asked me, how do you pastor a church for 30 years? You've heard me say it before, one word, patience. I've tried to be patient with y'all, and very kindly, y'all have been patient with me. And I'll always be be grateful for that. But at the end of the day, God is patient with all of us. Amen. Thank you for your kind words. Now enough about me. Let's get into the scripture. Today we are marking a graduation. Braden, God bless you, brother. You've done well. We're very proud of him. But you know, it's not just his graduation today. No, Aaron didn't miss anybody. The reality is all of us, in a sense, are graduating or transitioning or commencing today. And I think because we get so caught up in the hamster wheel of life that we forget that every day is the first day of the rest of our lives. Every day is a graduation, every day is a transition. Every day we are asked to commence and go forward. Graduating not only from the lessons we've learned academically in school, which are vastly and very important, but also graduating with the wisdom that we've gained from life's lessons. See, the fact of the matter is, even though we celebrate Braden's graduation, he's not leaving school. Sorry, buddy. Okay. It's just different. It's called the school of life. It's called graduating every day, almost every moment, with the trials and triumphs we've experienced, the things that we've learned. Now, as we go through life and as we, as we try to get into the book of Revelation this morning, we need to see something bigger than ourselves. And that's why God has presented us with his word generally and the book of Revelation specifically. Because God wants us to see the end of the story. Not just so we can be titillated over future prophecy. But so we can understand the what's and the why's of life in general. So we can see the direction that God is going in. And he is going in a direction. As we see the consummation of human history and world history in the book of Revelation. God wants us to understand And as we move into chapter 12, we are still in those trumpet judgments. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been in a large pause. And we looked at God's effort to bring a witness during the middle of this time period that theologians call the Great Tribulation. This yet future seven-year period where God judges the world, specifically the Jews who have rejected his Messiah and the gentiles who've rejected their savior and even through that as we saw last week god is still trying to reach out a hand of grace to invite to beg to plead with anyone who would listen to come to him by faith as we move into chapter 12 this morning we begin the first part of a three-chapter viewpoint what, what I call the grand cosmic battle. And as we do this, picture, picture God moving out from the detailed to the, to the grand and the general. Whenever you look at a map of a country, there are times when you have the map of the whole country. But depending on the focus of the map, sometimes there's a section of that map that zooms in on a particular place. But most of the time, the map gives you the big picture. We've been zooming in on the details of future events, but in chapter 12, 13, and 14, we're going to zoom out to the grand picture, and in a real sense, this this cosmic battle isn't locked into this seven-year tribulation period. As a matter of fact, what what John, under the inspiration of God, is going to show us is the grand battle, the cosmic battle that is going on ever since God created the universe until when he finally brings to end all of history and time. And today we celebrate a graduation. But again, it's our graduation because, see, here's the thing. We learn lessons in school and they're helpful and useful and and needful. But also, as we look at life, we learn lessons. And I think God is trying to constantly get us to see the bigger picture. I'm guilty of it. Getting caught up in, here's the word for Dan, minutia of life. The little mechanisms, the little details. This morning in Sunday school, we talked about faith and how faith is so necessary to face the storms of life. And as Dr. Adrian Rogers once said, you're either going through a storm, you've been through a storm, or you're facing a storm. And those are the details. You're not going to get away from them. You're not going to run away from the storms. You're going to get hit one way or another. I hate to tell you that. But through Christ, we have the ability, as one person in my Sunday school class so eloquently said, her faith in Christ was her seatbelt to hold her through those storms in life. And oftentimes, I get guilty of not understanding, trying to understand what's going on, trying to focus on those little things that are driving me crazy without understanding the grand and big picture. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. And as we think of it, and again, yes, we encourage Braden, we're proud of him, but also our graduation from today to tomorrow, if God gives it. Our graduation from what we learned yesterday, this morning, to what we face this afternoon and tomorrow. And I love what the philosopher Plato said. He said, the direction in which education starts a man will determine his future life. And that's all about worldview, what you've learned and how you look at the world and how I look at the world. Now I'm gonna say something to you that you're gonna probably think is strange. I used to preach this, but I've since, I hopefully have grown. I hope that's the reason. But many people talk about a Christian worldview or a biblical worldview. I think you need to be careful of that. I think what we need to have instead of just a Christian worldview or a biblical worldview is we need to have a reality worldview. Because oftentimes when people say I have a Christian worldview, well, that that depends on the type of Christianity they say they espouse. And let's face it, there are more iterations of Christianity, as the old people say, Carter has liver pills. So many interpretations. Or a biblical worldview. Oh, I have a biblical worldview. Well, that can determine on how you interpret the biblical. Bibl- blah, blah, blah. Go back, the Bible. <laughs> Whether correctly or incorrectly. The thing that God, I believe, wants us to have is a worldview based on reality. Whose reality? Well, there's only one. I'm not talking about some Kantian philosophic, philosophical decision where everybody has their reality and your truth. No, no, there's only one reality and there's only truth. Absolute. Because here's the thing. God's word, because it is truth, does not con- contradict with reality. So as we look at the world and as we face our next day, whether we're Braden graduating from high school or whether we're, we're graduating into the next day, the next minute... We need to look at the world as it really is, because that if we are educated with that in mind. We will be better able to face the world as God shapes our future in it. Plato had a lot of wisdom there. Greg Kochel, who is a philosopher an apologist and a speaker, he said this. He said, I am convinced that most Christians do not understand spiritual warfare. Let me stop there. The reality of life is this. As we look at the world around us and we see all the chaos and havoc in the world, we see all the brutal inhumanity going on, people getting angry, people getting ugly. We see things in our culture that are going the wrong way, constantly bombarded with upheaval and difficulty. You see that, but that's not the completion of reality. For behind everything that you and I observe, there's a greater and grander reality, and that is the spiritual realm that we do not see. When we went through the book of Daniel, we pulled back that curtain. As we've gone through Revelation, we pulled back that curtain. God is now going to give us the drone's eye view of the real world. Because what we see is simply the effects of what's going on around us that we don't see. And that is that spiritual warfare that is happening. So he says, I'm convinced that most Christians do not understand spiritual warfare. Either they are unaware of the unseen battle, or if they do recognize its importance, they do not focus on the central issue, but instead are dictated by secondary concerns. Those are the little minute things in life. Those are little aggravations, the little frustrations The personalities and the problems that come up, all of those things that are small and irritating or grand and frightful are simply symptoms of a greater and larger unseen cosmic conflict that goes on around us. It is even waging, even as we speak, it is even going on in this room. Coco goes on to say this. He says, we live in a world made by an invisible being. You can't see him. I haven't seen him. And this world is thick with invisible things. They are all around us. The Bible calls them principalities and powers. Beings in high places. They're all around us in an unseen but not immediately obvious to many since the visible realm is so much more imposing. In other words, we don't see the spiritual conflict. We don't see the cosmic warfare, the battle, because we're so caught up in what's before us and around us. And I believe God provided the book of Revelation to give us perspective. So as we dive into the book of Revelation in chapter 12, we're going to see the grand cosmic panorama of the spiritual conflict all around us. We're going to see why the world is the way it is, why things are going on and why the seven years of tribulation are going to happen. And he begins with a, you know, telling the story as we look at the story of this cosmic battle. Like every story there are antagonists, protagonists, personalities and players. So in chapter 12 of Revelation, verse 1, it says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns seven diadems or crowns on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them down to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth, to devour her child as soon as it was born. Verse five, she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place preserved and prepared for her by God that they should feed her there 1260 days. As we look at the story of this cosmic battle, we see the different players and a lot of confusion and interpretation have been launched to make sense of this passage. And again, It's better to be lean than luxurious in our biblical interpretation. What does that mean? Again, it means we don't need to choke on details. We really don't understand. But there are some glaring facts that give us a bit of an understanding and the most we need that God needed us to know. And as we look at the Bible as a whole from Genesis to Revelation, you and I get the story of the creation and the subsequent fall of humanity into sin. And centuries and millennia of of redemptive efforts by God to draw humanity to Him. Culminating with Christ coming to earth, God in the flesh taking on the role of Savior, suffering Savior. His death on the cross, His burial and His resurrection. Literally the hinge upon which human history turns from beginning to end. And then we see Christ raising up the church, those who trust in Him out of the Jewish and Gentile peoples of the world. Predominantly Gentile, but there are Jews who do know Christ and are part of the church. As a matter of fact, because the Jews anticipated and revealed this Messiah, when a person who is Jewish comes to know Christ as Savior, he or she becomes the most complete person in the world. That's why it's so imperative that we pray for Jerusalem, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And then we finally, as we get to Revelation, we see unfolding and the finality of God's plan and mission in humanity. And so, as we read this chapter, we see the principal persons within this whole panorama. We first, as we get into this, we see the woman talked about here. Now, many people have interpreted this all kinds of different ways, but actually, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And you can find out who this woman is by looking at this description and then going back to Genesis 37. I'm not going to go there now because we don't have time, but I'll I'll refer you to that. When Joseph has his dream and he envisions his family in the nation of Israel. And it's very evident that this woman that we see pictures, images, the nation of Israel. And as we see those 12 tribes, those 12 stars, the sun and the moon being uh, Jacob and and Rebekah, we see all of this going on. And certainly from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 12, when God raised the Hebrew people, the nation of Israel later called that name. And through the nation of Israel brought the revealed written word and of course the living word, Jesus. Jesus was a Jew. The first church of Jesus Christ in the book of Acts was made up predominantly of Jews as it was based in Jerusalem. Yet the Jews rejected their Messiah for the most part. The Gentiles have taken the ball and run with it, but God is not finished with the Jews. As we have gone through Revelation, you get a Old Testament flavor, an Old Testament flavor, a Jewish flavor in that book as God then begins to deal with Israel yet again. And this woman is... Israel, God's people, and I'll say this morning, Revelation, not just from Revelation, but Israel, they are still God's people. Now, they are God's people who have turned from their Messiah, but God still desperately loves them because God used them to establish his revelation. Paul said, when he went to every city, he said, I went to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Because that's who God went to. He went to the Jews. He established the nation. So this, is, this woman is Israel. And as you look at the broad panorama of scripture, Israel plays largely in this. And she still does and will. It's no accident that in 1948, Israel was reestablished and became a nation again. Because God said it would. Christ said it would in Matthew chapter 24. You alive today have already witnessed a prophetic event and that is the founding of Israel. So the woman is Israel. And of course child that is described is Christ himself. Christ himself was born from Israel. Mary was a Jewish woman. The nation of Israel not only provided us with the written bible but the nation of Israel birthed the Messiah. Jesus Christ, he is the child. Notice the description. He was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Obviously, this is speaking of Christ. And after his ministry, the child of Israel was caught up to God and went to his throne. And then as the book of Acts closed, the people of God came under persecution as Rome raised its ugly head. And Israel was scattered throughout the world. Jews lived in every corner of the world through the last 2,000 years. There have been communities, pockets of Jewish people in Europe, Asia, Africa, and now in the United States. All over the world until finally, as Christ foretold in Matthew, Israel was reunited and became a nation again. Because it was necessary for God to fulfill his other prophecies for that to happen. So Israel is that one displayed by the woman. The Christ child is also one of these protagonists, or, and, protagonists in this. And then finally, if you look at verse 3, there's a dragon that comes on the scene. A great and fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns. We're not going to solve the interpretation of that line. Suffice it to say that he represents all the godless empires of the world. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, and even the current Gentile world powers that exist and deny God. He is the energizer, the inspirer of all of these, and they've all attacked Israel to some extent or another. Even in our modern times, Nazi Germany rose up to try to exterminate the Jews from the earth. And in the Middle East now, Muslim nations exist to exterminate the Jews from the Holy Land. And again, the Palestinian Authority's charter speaks of moving Israel off into the sea. Hamas's charter speaks of destroying Israel. Israel is under attack, under fire, because they are still being attacked. So this whole story of this cosmic battle is the story in time where God had chose to save humanity. After He rose the nation of Israel, and as God led them and revealed them, and they moved, and and through them came the Word, Jesus Christ. And we know that even when He was born, as, as the Bible pictures here, it says it says, the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth, to devour her child as soon as it was born. Herod, the king, Of Israel at the time, Herod the Great wanted to destroy him as soon as he heard about him, Matthew chapter 2. It was as though Christ was being born and Satan in the form of Herod was just waiting for him. But God preserved him. And so we've had this struggle, this cosmic battle going on. This cosmic battle had its foundation in time before time. In the beginning, God, when he created the heavens and the universe, universe, he created this plan to create a people he could love, a people who would worship him, and he created not a perfect world, but a perfect way. See, when we understand the intricacies of life from that very high vantage point, it gives us confidence and understanding as because we know why things are happening and why they've happened the way they happen we understand god's way of moving in the world and what he's doing and why he's doing it no no not the details but again we get the big picture we get the large overview i'm that kind of guy i need the bottom line i like the big picture Whenever I study a book of the Bible, like Revelation, I always go to resources that kind of give me an overview. Whenever you study the Bible, if you're going to study the book of Revelation or the Gospel of John or you're going to study the book of Ruth, I always encourage people, read the entire book first so that you can get the big picture and know where it's going. That's what God is giving us in this story. So as we look at the grand picture of the cosmic battle the players, the participants, are Israel, the woman, Christ, that child, and Satan, the dragon. God then moves us to this conflict. We call this a gospel or cosmic conflict, a cosmic battle. Picking, up, picking it up in verse 10. Excuse me, in verse 7, it says, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. Who is Michael. When we saw Michael back in the book of Daniel, he is the archangel now. He is the chief angel. He is the commander of God's angels. He seems to be the general of the angelic army. We talked before about when you're being plagued, struggling, having difficulty. Oh, the devil did this. No, the devil doesn't know who you are. The devil just is a fallen angel. And angels are not like God. They aren't everywhere at once. And we understand Michael, the, the angel, he serves in specific places at specific times. Just like Gabriel, who is God's messenger, comes at specific times. There aren't really any other named angels in scripture. But Michael evidently has, has gathered the, the angelic army to do battle against who would, once was Lucifer but is now Satan. And it says, Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon with his angels fought the demonic hosts, but they did not prevail, nor was place found for them in heaven any longer. This speaks of that broad understanding that once Satan was Lucifer, the grand anointed cherub, the great archangel, who was beautiful according to Ezekiel 28. But he became so enamored with his beauty that he thought he could be like God, In Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 and following declare what are called the five I wills of Satan. He said, I will be like God. I will sit in his place. I will get his glory. And God said no and cast him aside. Now, as we zero in on what we're doing, this, this begins to take shape and give us understanding of what's going on during this tribulation period. And in this chapter, and in last, we begin that last three and a half years. That's why in that description we read, it said those number of days, 1,260 days. So there is a grand battle that began and still is being fought today. But Satan ultimately is the loser. Goes on to say, verse nine. So the great dragon was cast out, out of the presence of God, in a, and not necessarily a true, true sense, but in a in a sort of positional sense, because God is everywhere present. But no longer had he God's attention. No longer had he God's ear. He had rebelled against God in a real sense. God cast him off and cast him down, and so he was cast out. The serpent of old, called the devil. And Satan, unless you can't figure out who this is, again, Revelation is its best commentary, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. We know that it seems that he took one third of the angelic host. They rebelled with him. And he was cast out. He was cast down. And Satan's defeat came ultimately on the cross of Christ when Christ was crucified, I can imagine that Satan and his demons thought that was a great celebration. Could you imagine the party that was going on in the pit and in hell and the demonic hosts when they were hammering the nails into our Savior? When he was hanging on the cross and and, and it seemed every breath was a labor and agonizing until finally he breathed his last. It, 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 you can almost hear the, pal, the palpable shout! A victory from the devil and his minions. They were premature. Because it says in verse 10, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, it goes on to say, has has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, the blood of the Lamb, Christ, death on the cross, defeated Satan, defeated sin, and won the day. And they do not love their lives to death. In other words, over the last 2,000 years, even in the time of the prophets, and, and then in the future time of the tribulation, Saints aren't holding on to their lives until they die. They're actually spending them for the gospel. I encourage you, if you've never read it or don't have a copy, get a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs. You'll be saddened yet fascinated by the men and women over the last 2,000 years that didn't love their lives to death. They loved the Lord so much that they were willing to give their lives even to the point of death. Even today, there's a ministry out there called The Voice of the Martyrs that reiterates the stories of men and women today, now, in 2023, who are still being being tortured, still struggling, and still, still dying for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why would they do that? Because they know Jesus Christ has won. Now Satan Satan still functions. God still allows allows him because we as humans have a free choice whether to choose Christ or not and we need that negative choice out there. But as we will see when we get into chapter 19, there will become an ultimate defeat of Satan and his minions. He says in verse 12, Therefore rejoice, O heaven, and you who dwell in them. So as we look at this story, We see this conflict. And this conflict goes on as we speak. Michael and his angels. The devil and his demons. We saw it in the book of Daniel. If you read the book of Ezekiel, you see it. The book of Zechariah we studied a few months ago on Wednesday night. In the book of Revelation, there is constantly a battle, a conflict. and, And people will say, well, where is the battlefield? The battlefield is your heart. mind, The mission and goal of both God's army and the devil's army is to win you. The battlefield is for your heart. The battlefield is for the heart of your children. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but there is a battle even culturally in this country for the heart and minds of our dear children. They are being attacked on all sides philosophically, culturally. And that is just a visible symptom of the spiritual warfare. That's why Jesus, we're having vacation Bible school next week. It's our opportunity to our community to bring the gospel to them. Satan, yes, even though he's ultimately defeated, he's ultimately the loser, he's still trying to take your family, my family. He wants to defeat this church. And don't think for a minute this church is safe. This church is under attack. It's been under attack. At least I've been here 30 years, as you heard. This church has been under attack. Every Bible-believing, teaching church is under attack. Especially if you preach the truth. Oh, Satan doesn't mind if we sing our songs, have our potlucks. Satan doesn't mind if we gather and gossip and talk. Satan doesn't mind if we do that. But when we start preaching the word, teaching the word, and going out with the gospel, mm -mm. you and I then become a target. There is an unseen world out there. That's why Paul tells us to take on the armor of God. In Ephesians 6. That's why he tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 our conflict is not of the flesh. We need to have weapons of spiritual warfare. It's around us. And we see this in chapter 12. God gives us the broad panoramic vision from the beginning of time to the end of time. And this is going on now. There, the demonic host, They're after your children, they're after your heart, they're after your mind. After my mind, my heart, my children. They're after this church. But God is also fighting for us. Paul kind of brings it down specifically in Galatians 5 where he says, The conflict, spiritual conflict is one of the lust of the flesh and lust of the spirit. We realize this conflict when we are faced with moral choices and moral dilemmas as believers. When you receive Christ as Savior, you're sealed with God's Spirit. And if you yield to Him, He influences you in the right and righteous path through His Word. But if we yield to our flesh, we go the other way. And there's a constant battle, constant fight. You've experienced it, I know. But sin and Satan have ultimately been defeated. And Christ is victorious. So what does that tell us? That means in the world that we see around us, we need to yield unto Christ. We need to yield unto his spirit and arm ourselves with the sword of the word and the shield of faith. I appreciate our Sunday school lesson this morning. I needed it as much, if not more, than you did. Because there are times, honestly, my shield of faith falls and my sword just drops. But we got to pick them up and keep going. The story, the conflict, and finally the persecution, but devil's not giving up. He's breathing out the final, last infuriation that he has. Look what it says as we get into verse 13. Satan's been cast out. He's been thrown out. Well, you know what? He's mad. He's not happy with it. We have a cat in our house among three. His name is George. George likes to be in our bedroom. That's his place. It's quiet. It's dark. He can hide because he's a sissy. Okay. He's a chicken. He's not a cat. And at night he wants to be in there and I can't stand cats when I'm sleeping because they want to walk on you. If they're hungry, they'll step on your face. So we close George out. He howls. Row! But George gets mad when he's not allowed where he wants to go. And George will will tear up stuff because he's mad. I can take care of George, but Susan won't let me deal with it the way I want to deal with it. (laughs) I know. Oh, Mike, you're mean. Yep, I am. Okay. But imagine Satan. He's not happy. He's upset. Look what it says as we continue in verse 13. Now, when the dragon saw that he'd been cast to earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Satan has been persecuting the people of God from day one. Whether they are in the form of the church of Jesus Christ, he also persecutes Israel. Because he knows Israel, they are and still are God's people. It is through Israel, as we said, everything that we know about Christ and Christianity come. Even today, the nation of Israel exists And tremendous tension and anxiety because all the nations around Israel hate Israel. Imagine living in your neighborhood and every one of your neighbors hate you so badly that they'll do anything they can to get you out of the neighborhood. That's what's going on with Israel. These nations are demonically and satanically inspired and empowered. They want Israel out and down. Not only that, but they're also attacking the church. And the stronger the church rises and stands, the more they are under attack. Again, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Thousands of thousands of men and women who have literally been killed and died for the sake of simply preaching the gospel. Still goes on today. And that is Satan who is mad. He's going down and he wants to take your family, your children, this church with him. But... Verse 14, the woman was given two wings of a, as a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness in her place where she is nourished for a time, times and time and a half. Now, again, we zero in on this final culmination of life, this final historical curtain where the nation of Israel during the tribulation period will be persecuted again by the Antichrist. We'll talk about him in a couple of weeks. But they, during this time, will come under horrendous persecution. Daniel calls it, these last three and a half years of the tribulation, he calls it the great tribulation, or the time of Jacob's trouble. In Israel, the Jews are going to have to flee their land and hide, and God's going to take care of them. Verse 15, So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. The flood of persecution that's going to come. But the earth helped the woman. God provide, will provide. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. God cares for his people. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So this is that aspect of persecution. And yet, from year one, from day one, the church of Jesus Christ has been persecuted. Even today, if you tell someone you're a Bible-believing Christian, you'll be mocked in the media. Many times you'll be mocked in your schools, maybe at your jobs. Even today, men and women are losing their jobs because they're not taking the stands on this idolatry of sexuality that the world has adopted. You need to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ, but you need to pray for you and your family. Because again, what you see going on, the militant movements that are happening in the LGBTQ trans community, the ugly, horrendous racism that is splitting our country, the different ideas of the grandeur of the human being over the truth of God. All of these things, all of this bad news are symptoms of the ultimate reality of this cosmic battle. And this is what we're facing. This is why as we celebrate Braden graduating, and we pray and I thank God, I tell you, I thank God for our youth team and a youth pastor that loves and is so burdened over the Word of God. I thank God for godly parents who don't wait for the schools to raise their children. They do it. Don't look to the government for the answers because they have none. They lift their kids daily before God and make sure they're walking with Him to the best of their human ability. And I'll tell you, it's tough. I pray for the parents of our church every day, and I pray for your children. But part of our education, whether it's a young man graduating from high school or whether it's an old man and an old woman graduating from yesterday, the more we know, the more confident we become. We see the world as it really is, not how we want to see it we see life as how it's really unfolding, not the way we want it or think it should. If we can get a broad understanding of this big picture, we we can begin to see the problems, see the situations, and find the solution in Christ. Because we're facing an infuriated dragon. But God has insulated his people. Verse 17, the dragon was enraged with the woman, Israel, and her people. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. That's us. But again, notice earlier, the earth helped the woman. God is still keeping watch over his people. And as we yield to him, he carries us. Yes, some suffer, some even die. But even in death, a believer in Christ is the winner. Because they have escaped the clutches of the devil. So the story, the grand conflict, involves Satan, the dragon, the woman, Israel, who brought the story and the reality of redemption into the world, and this child, Christ, who's the living embodiment of that. In the conflict, Satan has been defeated, and Christ is victorious, but he's still persecuting, he's infuriated, and he wants to destroy you, he wants to destroy your children, your family, and he wants to destroy this church. Couple of verses as we finish. Again, back in Ephesians six, as we think of graduating. You know, today, Braden, you look great in your cap and gown. I know you didn't want to be up there looking, but hey, man, it looked good. Enjoy that. You earned that, rascal. Well, he put on that cap and gown as a symbol of his achievement. We also have a wardrobe to put on as a symbol of our achievement. God's or Christ's achievement in us. It says, "For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood." Trans people aren't our enemy. Gay people aren't our enemy. People of other races and other philosophies and politics, they're not our enemy. We have one enemy, and that's the devil. We have one enemy, Satan. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. I can't hate somebody who is trans. I can't hate somebody of a different race than I am or a different ethnicity or of a different nation. I can't hate somebody whose politics aren't like mine. I can't hate somebody who disagrees with me or doesn't like me. I can't do that. Because at the end of the day, Christ died for them. God loves them and I must love them. They are not my enemy, they're not your enemy. The enemy we have is a devil who is energized and minions who are wanting to destroy us. Those are the enemy and that's the enemy we must fight spiritually through Bible study, prayer and constantly keeping an eye on the big picture. And as we finish, we need to always remember, I challenge Braden with this, I challenge the rest of you graduates from today to tomorrow with this. Be sober, be vigilant according to 1 Peter. Now, if you can't get the reality of this passage, you need to to struggle with it and get a hold of it. Be sober. In other words, wake up. Be alert. Be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, he is your adversary. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You know who that is? That's you. That's me. That is your children, your grandchildren, your friends, people in this church. Don't let him win. Let's stand together as we close in prayer. We celebrate today graduation, we celebrate achievement, we celebrate commencement. But in reality, every day is a graduation from today to tomorrow, from 12 o'clock to 1 o'clock. We all need to learn and grow and never stop. The question is, what are we going to learn and how are we going to grow? Our theme at West Concord is come grow with us, growing in love and obedience and truth and knowledge. In order to do that we need to see this big picture going on around us oh we can't see it physically but we need to know it's there spiritually you can see the symptoms again they're in the news everywhere they're in the news everywhere they're all around us even in our lives the negativity the difficulty the anger the frustration the fear These are all symptoms of the spiritual cosmic battle that is being waged even as we speak here and now. First of all, do you know Christ as your Savior? He came to die, to snatch you out of the devil's clutches. To rescue you, to be your Savior from an eternity separated from him in a place called hell with the devil and his lost minions. If you've never trusted Christ, I pray that you'll cast your faith and confidence in Jesus as your Savior as we speak. There's nothing you can do to earn heaven heaven cannot be bought earned it's already been bought and paid for it's been it's provided as a gift you come and accept it by faith fully casting yourself upon the mercies and grace of almighty god trusting in him and him alone the bible says if we do that god saves us and gives us everlasting life please trust him if you've never done that don't leave without doing that if you do know christ have you thought about this grand cosmic battle? We're going to look at a little bit more of it next week, a little bit different side. Uh, not next week, but the week after. Read ahead. Do you see it? You at least see the symptoms. I'm calling on you to surrender not to that devouring lion, but to the loving Savior. This morning might be your time to decide, I'm not going to let Satan prevail or his minions prevail in my life. I'm not going to let him prevail in my family's life. I'm not going to let him have my children, my grandchildren, my nieces and nephews. And bless God, I'm not going to allow him to have this church. Ultimately, he is a loser. And Christ has won. Let's step away from the loser and embrace the winner. As we close this morning, I am going to call. If The altar is open this morning. If you'd like to come. Lay your life on the altar before God this morning. You come and do that. You can do it where you are, but if you'd like to come, you can do that. I am. Because I'm going to tell you, I struggle with the same things you do, and I need Him. So let's take a quiet moment. And if God is calling you, you come. Whatever you decision, you will make a decision. I hope you make the right one. Let's take a quiet moment. The altar is open if you'd like to come. And our Father, as we close this morning, Thank you for transitions, for celebrations, for commencements, for graduations. And again, I do pray that you'll wrap your arms around Braden and for those who have graduated recently from college and high school. And Father, I pray that you'll raise up this generation to bring revival to this nation and to this world. Strengthen them, Lord. I pray for all of these at the sound of my voice, whether here in person or online. Father, I pray that you will galvanize us and help us to see as you see and help us to trust you for you have won the cosmic battle. Bless your church, bless these families and get the glory we ask in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. 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 For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.